imagine if you had five questions that you could ask Jesus. You know, he's going to appear to you, and you're going to get to you know, play Barbara Walters and ask him five questions. What would you ask? Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus were to come back and, and you can ask him any five questions and he'll fully discuss those questions with you, what would be your questions? I know they wouldn't be frivolous. I'm sure, I'm confident that they wouldn't. I don't think we would ask about, you know, well, where did Cain get his wife anyway? You know, and, and I don't think those would be the nature of the questions that we'd ask. I'll tell you what I would try to pinpoint and narrow down and get as much information as I could is this question. Just what do I have to do to get to heaven? I don't necessarily even, you know, I'm not too terribly concerned about what what are people going through right now or or what's it like or try to explain that to me. Um, Try to explain to me how this resurrection is going to take place. When are you coming back? I don't want to know those things. What I want to know is, tell me what I have to do so that when you do come back, that I can be dead on sure that I am ready. Well, that's what I want us to basically talk about this morning. I had a teacher um, who, uh, a number of years ago, a science class, and when it came time to give us tests or, you know, like a, a final exam test, he would say this. And, and kind of chuckled like he took great pride out of it. But he'd say, all right, here's, here's what you're going to be tested over. You're going to be tested over everything that was said in class. It's all fair game. And you're going to be tested over everything that you were told to read. But that wasn't helpful to me. Because there's so much more in that book that we read that we didn't talk about. And, and I want more direct. It's not that I'm trying to, to skimp by. It's not that I'm trying to pull one over on them. I just want to make sure that I spend my time on the right stuff and not on the, the peripheral stuff that doesn't matter as much. And I always wanted, you know, somebody to narrow that down for me and to say, this is what you need to know. Well, The Bible's good at doing that. Oh, I know the Bible's a good book, a a big book. And and if somebody said, uh, what do I have to do to be saved? Read the book. You know, that's an answer. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, that's that's good. But what do I have to do? You know, I I know that I need to read this and I, I know the answer's in here. But can you capsulate it for me? Can you give me something that I can say, this is something that I need to work on every day, that I know that if I get these things right, I'll go to heaven. God gives us several ways of summing up, this is what you have to do. And one of those passages is taken from Micah chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Micah 6 this morning, and let's look and let's leave here with some degree of confidence, or at least the awareness of things that I need to change starting right now when I leave this place, because these are the things that matter. Micah, in Micah chapter 6, if you'll read with me, um, beginning in verse 6 and going through verse 8, with what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for my sin, for the sin of my soul? You see, he's asking that question that I was asking. What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to be pleasing to God? I mean, do I have to, is it sacrifices? Is it even my own children that I have to sacrifice? Just tell me, what is it that I have to do in order to find God's approval? Well, look at verse 8. He's shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's a pretty nice nutshell there. Three things. I think I can handle that. And what I'd like for us to do is to look at those three statements this morning, actually four, and see the ramifications of those statements. First of all, I think we can fairly say this. God wants more than externals. You see, he talks about it in verses 6 and 7. <coughs> Excuse me. In verses 6 and 7, he talks about, well, what is it that, that God wants? Uh, does he want thousands of sacrifices? Does, is, it, is it some kind of a thing that I'm supposed to do that I, I, I've not done yet? Is that what he wants? Is that what's going to get the job done? It's not. In fact, some of the most scathing rebukes in all the Bible come from, you know, passages like Isaiah chapter 1 or Amos chapter 6 and chapter 5, where people were going through the motions of religion. They were offering their animal sacrifices. They were observing the feast days. They were keeping the Sabbath. And they were doing all these things, but their heart wasn't right. And God said, it makes me sick. I'm so sick of this. I hate it when you offer sacrifices. He's the one who commanded them, but because they weren't doing it from the heart, he hated it. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're here because of your relationship to the church, you need to make some changes in your life. Listen, the church is not your savior. Jesus is. There are people who practice a real nice form of churchianity, but that's not what saves us. We need to be practicing Christianity. And I can do all the things, and I can gather here every week, and I can do all the church things that people are supposed to do and never have a relationship to Jesus. Now, I can't have a relationship to Jesus apart from the church, but I can have a relationship to the church and not have a relationship to Jesus. I need to understand that I need to not just do what I'm doing because it's rituals. I'm used to it. I've done it since I'm a kid. It's what's expected of me. It keeps peace in my family. Um, A thousand and one other reasons. We need to love Jesus. We need to have a love for what he's done for us, who he is. Not even for what he'll do for us, but just for who he is. I need to develop that. Micah tells me that it's more than just external actions. I I told you one time about a man who came in. It was the first time he was going to lead a public prayer. And he said, Steve, I want want you to hear what I'm going to pray. I've written it down. I'm working on it. I'm trying to memorize it. And so he started in this prayer. He didn't even know how to pronounce half the words he had written down. The huge, long words that he's trying to... And and when he got done, I just said, Mike, what... You don't 
talk this way? What, what are these big words all about? And he said, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm not intelligent. Wrong purpose for prayer. Prayer's about talking to God. It's not about promoting yourself or making yourself look a certain way to other people. You miss the point of the action. And sometimes we may be guilty of coming to this building and we dress up and put our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on and we sit and we sing and we bow quietly and we close our eyes and we do all this stuff and we'll come back on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. And if there's a cover dish, we'll, we'll fix something and bring it on to the cover dish. You can do all that stuff and still not have a relationship with Jesus. Externals alone will not save. What does save? Micah says, number one, do justly. Practice justice. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, look at it again. Do, uh, here's what you're to do. Do justly. Um, I heard this story one time. You know, what it means to do justly is to treat people fairly, to to give them the same consideration that you would somebody else. We, we need to be a people who don't take advantage of other people and, and who don't, like, practice one thing with another one person and another thing with another person. And it all depends on the way they look, the way they dress, their education, the color of their skin. Their, you know, we, we have our, our reasons why we treat people differently. There's a movement right now uh, talk, that's called or known by the, the emerging church movement. You know what a lot of that is about? And while they'll go too far and they do things that run counter to the, the Word of God and they have kind of relegated some of God's commandments to a back seat, but here's what has driven a lot of that. There are people who have seen the church not respond with justice. They've not seen the church respond with mercy and compassion. And they said, I'd rather be doctrinally wrong and show compassion than to be doctrinally right and show no compassion. Well, both are wrong. You don't have to choose one or the other, but that's kind of what has happened. But the the need to treat people fairly justly. Social injustice should be a concern of the church. We need to treat people justly. I heard this story one time, uh, and maybe you've seen it too, but a a guy comes in a church building. The the building is packed. There is no place to sit. And this guy, it's the first time he's ever been there. He comes in, and he's got jeans on that have holes in them, got a tank top, and he's all tattooed up, and, and his hair's all, you know, all over the place, and and uh, since there was no place to sit, he looked around, and no place, he just walked right down the center aisle and just plopped on the floor right here in front of the pulpit. Well, everybody's watching. They didn't know what was going on when that strange-looking guy came in and walked down and sat down. One of the elders, very dignified man, suit, tie, in his 80s, three-piece suit, vest as well. Kind of like Bob. He usually has a vest on. 
He gets up and walks to the back and then around. And everybody's thinking, oh no, what is he going to do? Because he starts coming down the center aisle. And they're thinking, what in the world is he going to say to this guy? He's just plopped down on the floor. And when he got to him, he sat down beside him in the floor. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but I do know this. If it really did happen, whatever sermon that preacher preached that day would have been trumped by the sermon that that man preached when he sat down beside the man who was different. We need to practice justice Treat people who are different. Treat people who don't look the same. Treat people who don't have the same um, resources that we have. Treat them fairly. That's what James 2 said. You know, James says, I'm, I'm a little bit b- bewildered by this. Y'all show partiality toward the rich, and it's the rich who persecute you. It's the rich who haul you off and put you in prison. It's the rich who Im- imprison you and, and enslave you. And you show them deference as opposed to a man who's poor. Treat people the same. Do what's fair, regardless of what they look like, regardless of who they are, regardless of their education, their, their line of work. Do justly. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 that that is... Um, you know, one of the things that uh, is of weightier importance. Um, look at uh, the second thing. He says, do justly. And then he says, I want you to love mercy. He didn't say, I want you to practice mercy. He said, I want you to love it. Because we can practice something and not like it. We can do the right thing and, and bite our tongue the whole time we're doing it and not having fun at all. He said, I want you to love mercy. Not just practice it, but I want you to love it. And again, in Matthew chapter 23, that too is said to be one of those weightier matters of the law. God wants us to love mercy. Folks, we need to teach our children compassion. When they see the plight of individuals, it ought not be a joke. It ought to be followed up with compassion. We don't, there's enough hard-hearted people in the world that look at people who are suffering and it doesn't mean a thing to them. If it should mean anything to anyone, it ought to mean something to a follower of Jesus. Jesus showed mercy. He showed compassion as he went about doing good, and we need to do the same. In fact, we in our homes need to probably work better and find ways and think of ways and brainstorm about ways of showing compassion to those who are less fortunate than us. And if you don't think that this is a weightier matter of the law, keep your place here in Micah. Just flip back to the book of Ezekiel. Verse 20, or chapter 26, I want you to think about something. A lot of people don't give consideration to this. When I say Sodom and Gomorrah, we think homosexuality. That's why that city was destroyed, because there were men there who had an, uh, you know, an unwholesome, they were practicing abomination, homosexuality, God wouldn't put up with it, he destroyed them. 
that's not the half of it. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 26, if you look at what Ezekiel says, in fact, he insults Israel by saying, um, you know what, you guys are going to suffer just like your sister Sodom. Wow, what an insult. The people of God being said to be sisters, kin to this wicked, wicked city. And you know why they were going to be punished? He says, he tells us, look at uh, verse 46, Ezekiel chapter 26. Your elder sister, um, excuse me, verse 47. Well, can we make it 48? Anybody for 49? Uh, 48. Start with me in 48. We'll save some time here. Um, As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters has done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. And neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And, he says in verse 50, they were haughty and committed abomination. And it's for those reasons he destroyed them. You know, the very last thing was abomination. They committed abomination. There was more to it. What were those other things that they were guilty of for which they were destroyed? They were pride. They were idle. They had plenty while others did not, and they didn't care. They let the fatherless and the widows go neglected. Can that be true of us? Can we have an abundance of idleness? Can we have our refrigerator stocked full of everything while people we pass day to day don't? Mercy. Will you look at a person and be touched by their plight? Or do you look at them hardened and pass by on the other side? I believe Jesus told a story about that once, didn't he? We need to teach ourselves, our own hearts, and our children to be touched when you see another person suffering. That's what it means to be like Jesus. And we need to be about that. If we want to go to heaven, we have to practice justice. We have to love mercy. And we have to walk humbly with him. The walk, number well, to walk with him means you have to agree. The humble part means that when there is a disagreement, guess who wins and who loses? You can't walk humbly with God while you argue with him saying you don't have to do this or don't have to do that or trying to get out of this or that or or if you have your one foot you know in the world you you can't walk with God and walk with the world you have to make a choice uh, somebody in the lectureship this past week talked about the choice between um, mammon and serving God you you cannot serve both and so we have to make a choice if we walk humbly with God it means we listen to him It means we submit ourselves to his will. And it's not just when his will agrees with my will. If we were walking together and we both decided to walk down that way because I wanted to, and well, after all, that's the way Jesus went too, um, I could say I'm following him, but not really, not yet. I'm just going in the same direction as him. 
The test of following comes when he wants to go through those doors, but I want to go through this door. Then where am I going to go? Will I follow him out those doors? That's when you follow. You're not following Jesus when he asks you to do what you're already inclined to do. What the test of following and discipleship is when he asks you to do something, I don't want to do that. That's hard. That's self-denial. If you can bring yourself to do that, then that's when you walk with God. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. James 4 and verse 10. So you want to go to heaven? You want to know what God accepts from us? You, you want to know what it takes to make sure you're right with God? You do these things right here. You understand that your relationship needs to be with God and not the church exclusively. Your relationship needs to be with Jesus. He's your Savior. You need to practice justice. Treat all men equally. Be fair. And not only as you are being fair with people, you you are touched by their plights. When you see someone suffering, you do what you can to alleviate that suffering. You, You don't leave people. Listen, folks, do you know how many people are on the outside? Not everybody. There are people who can be in a crowd and be all alone because they're just, they're different. That their social etiquette, whatever it is, their skills never developed. They've just always been on the outside looking in. And if we would be the people to broaden our circles to include those folks, those that are socially awkward, those that are physically different, that's exactly what Jesus would do. We need to practice justice. We need to do mercy, love mercy, and we need to walk with him. Listen to what he asks you, what he tells you, and do it. Don't argue with it. Just do what he says. And if you'll do those things, there will be a home awaiting you when the Lord comes back. He'll come back and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This morning, I want to ask you this question. If that day were today and the Lord came back, what would you say? He'd say, well, here's what I want from you. I want to know if you practice justice, if you love mercy, and if you have walked with me humbly. Can you say absolutely? No question about it. I have have done those things. If you look at your life and you say, I've got some work to do, then do that work. Begin today. If we can assist you by being baptized into Christ, after all, that's what Jesus asked you to do. He says, turn from your sins, be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what he said. It's not what we said or anybody else said. It's what he said. And if you want to walk humbly with him, you'll do what he asks you. We'll assist you in that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe you haven't been pursuing these things like you should have. Maybe you've been one of those persons that's been kind of just going through the motions, doing the right things because they're they're good, but you've not been doing them because of your relationship to Christ. Then we'll pray with you that you begin again pursuing justice, mercy, and obedience.
If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.